Justice Tech Pros here. Today I um, had an idea for an episode which was sparked from a new Netflix series that I was watching and it's called Dream Killer. And uh, the series spotlights a situation with a person named Ryan Ferguson who unfortunately was an innocent kid at the time, he was 17 years old, who was convicted of murder. And he wound up doing 10 years before they were able to get him out. And this was somebody who was um, clearly innocent, blatantly innocent. And if you get a chance to watch the episode, definitely give it a uh, shot. It's called uh, Dream Killer, and it's on Netflix. And what was um, frustrating is you see how long it took somebody who was um, 100% innocent to go through the process and actually get released. And you want to talk about unreliable so-called evidence and witnesses. This kid's case was plagued with them. And it just, you know, it all ties into the whole problem with the system and how there's so many cracks in it. And the general public just doesn't see it. And all these things play out. And, you know, everybody always says, well, this can't happen to me. This can never happen. And all these things do happen. And uh, there's an attorney who always gets involved in these cases. She's a phenomenal attorney. Her name is Kathleen Zellner. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard her, of her. She was also involved in that Making a Murderer um, documentary. She had that client uh, who was accused. I forgot his name off the top of my head, but the gentleman who was involved in that case she took on that case as well and she took on this case with Ryan Ferguson she took it on pro bono and and I really respect this attorney she she takes these things on because she knows how corrupt the system could be and she got involved and thanks to her getting involved you know she was one of the driving forces along with the the guy's father Uh, his name was Bill Ferguson they they worked tirelessly to to get Ryan out And, you know, a few things that, while I was watching this, you could relate to. You know, when you work in this field, you could relate to so many of these things. When you see, you know, the prosecutor, they had a so-called witness, you know, with these witnesses. It was uh, Ryan's friend at the time. And when they first interviewed this this kid, they, uh, basically the kid really wasn't given any details. He was kind of cloudy in what he was describing And long story short, after the prosecutor and the law enforcement told him, they lied to him. They said, well, Ryan's, you know, saying you did everything. Unless you cooperate first, you're going to go to jail. So what miraculously happens, all of a sudden, this guy, his name was Charles Erickson. He he comes up with a whole story of how Ryan committed this murder and he didn't want to do it. You know, all lies. And he was testifying to those lies. And later on in life... Uh, the, the the guy wound up telling the truth and he said the only reason why he said those things was because he was pretty much set up by law enforcement. That law enforcement threatened him with being in jail for the rest of his life unless he came up with this story. And it's such a twisted way of even comprehending that this is how justice takes place. It boils down to uh, ethics of a prosecutor and ethics of a law enforcement, and if they want to target and they want to just close the case, they'll go, they'll do it by all means necessary. 
and it gives you a reality check of the power, you know, and everything I speak about, it all plays in, and all of these things that I would talk about were kind of playing out in this documentary, and it's scary, because you see the power that these, you know, different uh, officials have, the judges have, the prosecutor had, the law enforcement had, and it was in a, it was in a small town, I believe, and within that town, you know, they hold the power, and they decide who gets charged, and what cases they're going to proceed with, and for some reason, you know, they just wanted to close this case out, and what was disturbing, just to give a quick backstory, uh, so you get an idea what I'm talking about, they charged two kids with um, killing a man, and the kid, Ryan Ferguson, uh, wasn't involved in it at all, but the one who did commit the murder, this Charles Erickson, um, who said he committed the murder later on, said he committed it alone, but at the time, he uh, blamed Ryan for it. And when the um, prosecutor was interviewing him and the uh, law enforcement was interviewing him, they pretty much, you know, leaned on him to, to confess that he and Ryan committed the murder and Ryan was really the aggressor. And he said right out, the reason why he did that was they told him, well, Ryan's throwing you under the bus, saying you did it, so if you don't make the deal first, you're going to pay the price. And when you think about that, it's such a scary concept that they hold someone's life in their hands, and all they have to do is just pressure, pressure somebody by taking away their life, by threatening to take away their life, and now you have a quote-unquote witness against you. Something that you're completely innocent of, you have a witness against you. And, and throughout, the, um, throughout the documentary, uh, another disturbing fact was they had an eyewitness who saw the killer. And when the lady took the stand, neither her defense attorney nor the prosecutor really touched on that. They didn't get into um, who you saw. Was it Ryan Ferguson? They kind of stayed away from that. And that was a huge ball drop by the defense attorney. And really, it's just a whole scary mess of what could take place. It's like one big ball of wrong. I mean, when you have, they, they unfortunately during the trial had a really, had a, an attorney who just didn't do the job they were hired to do. There was one shot where he had a map of the crime scene and it was completely mislabeled. The defense attorney had it completely mislabeled. And the reason was the guy didn't even walk the crime scene. You know, when you get an attorney and you pay them money and they, they have their your life in their hands. All of these things and all these methods should be exhausted. And when they're not, they could really destroy your life, literally. Literally destroy your life based on laziness and based on not being prepared. And it's so important to do your diligence when you bring an attorney on, you hire an attorney. And unfortunately, a lot of, you know, people don't know where to start. You know, you go on the internet, you go on Google, they got a good website. It's really hard to, to really find out what somebody's made of. You don't know until they start putting the work in. And sometimes it's too late. They're already vested in the case. You already paid them money. And now you're stuck with somebody who's just not capable. And is not going to do what you need done to save your life. And it's a scary process. And even those, you know, they have the best of lawyer lists and all that. That's not even reliable because from what I understand, you could get recommended by colleagues to get put on that. So it's not a legitimate type thing. And I'm not downplaying it. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying... You have to really do your due diligence, even when they have like certain awards and accolades. You got to really dive in and just make sure it's supported. And what they promise you, they're going to do. They deliver on. 
And you could see how frustrating it was for the family to sit back and they heard this attorney talking and he was screwing up the facts and he was screwing up things because he wasn't familiar. He did not familiarize himself with what he needed to prior to trial. I mean, to not even walk the crime scene on a murder case just to get a lay of the land and just to pick up on anything that could have been potentially impossible. And that's what happened when the father started diving in. He started picking up on all these things that just could not happen. There was an instance with a flashing yellow light that was on one of the intersections, and it was flashing yellow. And the um, informant had said it was a red light, and they were stopped and talking with somebody in another car. And, you know, the father figured out that was impossible because there was no red light there. And just little things like that are so important. You know, when I take on a case, uh, whether it's... uh, you know, something that I'm personally vested with or something professionally vested with, it's all in the details. You really have to analyze all the details. You have to look at everything because items like that could be huge, could be very important. And it, w- it was, you know, one of the, another thing that was just hard to see is they put the kid on the stand and the kid was talking. And what's, what's so disturbing is, a lot of the people saying, well, he didn't come across innocent. You know, he seemed a little arrogant. Now, you have to realize something. You're innocent of something. You're getting put on the stand. You know you're innocent. How are you supposed to act? You know you know nothing about what you're being charged with. What's the right way of acting? It's almost ridiculous. You're probably in shock that you're even in that position, and it's ridiculous, and now you're being judged on how you act and how you handle yourself, and if you don't do it properly, that works against you. You know, and it's just, I don't know, again, I don't know what a lot of these jurors are thinking. And I'm just hoping that what we're doing here could enlighten potential jurors and open their mind up on on things that may play out in front of them aren't are not always what they seem. And there's certain segments of the show that were very powerful. I want to play some excerpts uh, that just resonated with me and then kind of dive into them. This is an extremely powerful quote uh, from the father, Bill Ferguson. Until we become actively involved, then there will always be corruption. And what he's saying there makes a ton of sense. You know, unless the general public gets involved, there's always going to be corruption. And unless we take notice and unless we call these things out and address them and talk about them, there's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be those who feel they don't have to play by the rules. They're in positions of power, and they could do and act as they see fit and as they want. And they could fulfill any agenda that they may have. And the power, again, is with the people. Educating one another. Building your knowledge base so you aren't fooled by smoke and mirrors. So you're aware of what is playing out. So you're aware of things that can play out, and you call people out on them. You call those in power out... When you're in a position to, and the way it is normally, the general public is not in a position to, but when you serve on a juror, on a jury, you are. The tides turn a little bit, and you hold somebody's life in your hands, and the only way you could set things right and prove that justice isn't just a philosophy, but is an actual, tangible thing that can happen You have to follow through on that. You have to make sure you have to take the responsibility that you're going to make certain justice is served. 
And when you sign up to be a juror, that's the responsibility you take on. Another segment in the um, show that I found extremely interesting and at the same time disheartening and troubling is when Kathleen Zellner joined the case, they gave her such a hard time and they really pushed back. I mean, from the prosecutor, the prosecutor wound up becoming a judge and the law enforcement, you know, and that tells you something. If you have a honest prosecutor and honest law enforcement and they made a mistake, you would think that they want that mistake rectified just for their conscience alone. You wouldn't want that on your conscience. If you were part of putting an innocent person away, I know if I made that mistake, I'd be the first one to try to rectify it. I, I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror if I did that. But if they try to protect that lie and shield the truth from coming out, that's a dangerous person you're dealing with. That's a dangerous, dangerous individual. And they don't care about the truth. They care about being right. When, so, when it's more important for somebody to be right, that's a serious character flaw. And people in, in the position where they could end someone's life should not have that character trait. That's a dangerous trait and that's a dangerous characteristic to have. And I want to play a little segment of her thoughts on that when she first came in and what she witnessed. We came here from another state. You know, this is a closed club here. They didn't like it that we came here. Then they really didn't like it that we found all this evidence and that we were making the prosecutor, who's now a judge, look bad. That was like, oh, you don't do stuff like that. Even though somebody's life's at stake, that's not okay. Their first tack was to try to get us off the case, get us disqualified. That didn't work. Um, and we've had people do that before. I always take it as a compliment. You know, they've tried to threaten us. They've, you know, tried to report us to the Illinois Disciplinary Commission. Um, I mean, this has been down and dirty the whole way. Now imagine that. She comes on to, def- to help free somebody who is convicted wrongly. And not only are they trying to get her thrown off, but they're trying to actually complain about it to the disciplinary committee because she came from another state. Uh, she's from Illinois, and then she came to help out um, this case. And I, I don't remember which state this was in, but just think about that. They, they were so against the truth surfacing that they went after the attorney who's trying to help the client. And it just shows the level of corruption that can exist and takes place. And all of these things are, are a reality. This isn't something that you read about in books. This is a real-life event that affects real people, families. I mean, this this kid's parents were shot. The 17-year-old son was sentenced to, to 30 years, I believe, 30 or 40 years, and it took 10 years to get him out. This kid grew up in the system. He went away when he was like 18 years old. He got out, he's almost 30. Grew up in the system, missed his whole, uh, you know, 20s. And it was a shame because I was watching it and he was saying how he's pretty much changed for life, you know, and he can never get that back. And I, and I was glad to find out, but it really doesn't make it better. But he, they did sue, that Kathleen Zellner sued, and they wound up getting, I think, $11 million. So I'm glad for the guy that at least he got something. But the truth is that doesn't make it better. That that doesn't, he can never get back what he lost. At least it helps him financially in that is, respect. But it doesn't help physically or emotionally, mentally, for life. He'll be scarred for life from that experience. 
And with the uh, witness, you know, who, who pled guilty that he committed the crime uh, with Ryan Ferguson, they pretty much tricked him into that. And uh, they just got him to say those things just so uh, by threatening him, saying he was going to do a ton of jail time. And here's another clip based on that uh, that I wanted to play. Apparently, they, you know, just inserted some false police reports in my discovery. They tricked him into pleading guilty, and they did it by telling him, oh, Ferguson's making a deal. He's going to make a deal. If you don't plead guilty, he's going to beat you to it, and you're going to get life in prison. There are all these witnesses they lied to him about. So I just started sending him this stuff. And then he started, because he's, he is very bright, he started putting it together that he'd been tricked. It was all a big trick to get him to go along with it. And the state doesn't want to hear honesty. They want to hear what they want to hear. And they'll get you to say what they want to hear by basically threatening the rest of your life in prison. We were able to give him the documentation. Now, did you hear that? How the witness actually said they don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear, meaning the government, meaning the state. And they're going to get you to, to say what they want to hear, or they're going to threaten to put you away. Now, that's how they operate. They're supposed to be upholding the law, and that's how they operate. They're making the case. They're creating it just to get the uh, win, just to get a conviction. How sadistic is that? There is zero moral compass. And what's scary in all of this, there's no repercussions. You know, it's kind of like that segment I did on accountability. Nothing happened to the prosecutor. Nothing happened to law enforcement who was involved in this. Zero. Nothing. All of these things were done and nothing happened. Nobody had to pay a price. How is that allowed in the United States of America? How are these things go? How do they go on unchecked and they continue to go on unchecked? Now, here's the informant years later when uh, Kathleen Zellner got involved and they're, you know, appealing the case and they're trying to overturn the conviction. They recalled the informant to testify to basically um, elaborate on how he just said what the state wanted him to say. And you hear the new prosecutor giving him a hard time about it, and you could hear the informant go into detail on how they just got him to say what they wanted him to say and how they threatened him that they'll take his life away. So I just want to play that segment. Attorneys. They got me to say what they wanted to hear, and, you know, I kind of I went back and forth. I was just kind of a, kind of a mess, honestly. I mean, I was lying through my teeth, you know. But you already had your deal. I had my deal, but as soon as I go back on it, then they take my deal. As soon as I say something other than I said in court, they can take it. That's what my plea agreement said. Well, that's no different today than it was on January 25th, 2006. Because you chose not to take my plea agreement. Because if you take my plea agreement and say I I committed perjury, then you didn't get a fair trial. That's why, man. That's why you're going to take it. You're not going to do it until until after this is done with. Because that hurts your case. I don't trust prosecutors or cops anymore at all. And, you know, I don't expect people to believe me today. I, I didn't ask for a speech. I just asked you to answer the question, okay, sir? He does have issues. You, you see what I mean? Um, now, this guy, is the, the prosecutor is trying to say he's lying now, obviously, because they don't want to admit to what took place back, back when this case happened. And you hear the informant telling him, well, if I would have came and told the truth, they would have took my plea away. They would have took his deal away. So it goes to show even these informants. I mean, this guy too, this informant, 
okay, he may want to make make it right now. But, you know, what a low life. He ruined somebody's life. Ruined this kid's life because he just wanted to make up a lie. And 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 what what's more disturbing is the prosecutors and the law enforcement using people of that caliber. They're using that to put people away, to put innocent people away just to go after their targets. And that's really, you know, what I focus on when when somebody's a target, and it could be anybody. It doesn't always have to be a high-profile individual. When you're a target, it could just be that they want to solve the case. You're the suspect. Even though the evidence doesn't lead to you, they want to open and close it. So they're going to make the evidence equate to you being guilty. And when they're making evidence, you know, um, as I as I talked about, when they're trying to smash that round peg in a square hole and they have a big hammer to do so, that's a big ethical problem. And it isn't, you know, a typical job where, all right, you didn't do something right. Uh, people's lives suffer because of, of those in power not doing the right thing. People's lives end because of that. And then you got to fight. Look, look at this kid. He had to fight 10 years just to prove his innocence, just to get back out. 10 years. I want to just play uh, a little another segment where Kathleen Zellner talks about the amount of people who are incarcerated and how many are innocent. And this is another staggering statistic. We've got 2 million people incarcerated, and we've got 20,000 people locked up that are innocent, and that's conservative. I even believed more, uh, I think, in the goodwill of prosecutors, and people want to do the right thing, and I can show them the evidence and go to them. And I'd had that experience up until this point. But this, this has been really disturbing at every level. I mean, she's actually saying how she's she's dealt with honorable prosecutors and honorable law enforcement officials where when she stepped in and she showed them the evidence was inaccurate and the evidence proved that her client was innocent, they were accommodating, uh, meaning, you know, they didn't want to buck it. They didn't want to um, push back. They let her do her thing. But on this case, they were very vindictive in this specific instance. And that's more common than one would think. And that happens a lot. And ego really steps in with a lot of these officials and a lot of these prosecutors and U.S. attorneys. They just don't want to be wrong. And when they don't want to be wrong, they'll go by any means necessary to prove they weren't wrong. Rather than look at the case, rather than look at the facts, rather than acknowledge they may have made a mistake, they're more concerned about proving themselves right. And proving that an innocent person is guilty. Imagine, I mean, what are you made of that you have to fight the facts? If the facts lead somebody, aren't you supposed to sit back and just pretty much let the facts tell you the evidence of the case and let let the facts determine guilt or innocence? But instead, when you're creating that narrative, when you're forcing these things, what does that say about you as a person? I mean, what... What is wrong with these individuals that they they became involved in, in the justice system, not to uphold it, but to manipulate it? What is that all about? Why, what is the agenda there? Power? What kind of power is that? You're sending innocent people away. If that's your job and you want to do your job, what's wrong with doing it the right way? There's a lot of bad people out there. Unfortunately, there's a lot of evil people out there. Go get them. Lock them up if that's what you want to do. Get the evidence on those people. 
Why would you waste your time on somebody who's 100% innocent? Why would you put so much thought and effort into that just to set people up when there is so much bad in the world? And you could do a lot of good if you're in that position. And it's funny, you know, she touched on, in this show, Kathleen Zellner, she touched on where I was saying how it could happen to anybody. She touched on that, and I want to play that. I know that a lot of people, Ryan's age, they think, oh, this could never happen to me. Trust me, this could happen to you. Absolutely. If you tell people that two eyewitnesses put you in a murder scene, uh, one of whom says that you committed the murder with him, you're going down, you know? And that's the reality of it. It could happen to anybody. And unless the general public wakes up to that and starts being sensitive to that, nothing's going to change. And it all goes back to where people think, oh, if they go to trial, they're innocent. If they're in, you know, they'll be found innocent if they're innocent. And look, there's a prime example. It doesn't work that way. And why doesn't it work that way? Because it's fractured. The whole system is fractured. When it gets to trial, a lot of the times it's already preset on what is going to be allowed in. And what agendas are going to be pushed? And if you have a judge who goes along with that, and you have a prosecutor who goes along with that, and you have law enforcement, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for a conviction. And you're not going to get a fair trial. And the general public has to get it out of their head that, you know, if they're innocent, they'll be proven innocent. It's not as easy as that. There's a lot of factors to add up to that. And if you're restricted... And you're not allowed, and you have incompetent defense counsel, and you have an overzealous prosecutor who is overzealous in an evil way, and in an ill-tempered way, and in an agenda-filled way, and you have a judge who's going to look the other way and allow these things to play out in his or her courtroom, that's a recipe for a conviction. You're going to get convicted even though you're innocent. And that's a hard concept to grasp. You're 100% innocent of something, and yet you run the, the risk of being found guilty on something you didn't even do based on all of the elements that are out of your control. You're a target. They want to make a case. They want to make the evidence fit their agenda. And this plays out in so many courtrooms on so many different levels. And that's the scary part of it, that the, the public is oblivious to it. They don't understand what takes place. They don't understand, unless this touches, you know, smacks them square in the face, they don't even grasp that this could play out. They think that everything plays out the way it reads in textbooks, and that justice will be served, and that lady justice will be on their side. No, unfortunately, it doesn't play that way, because so many human elements and human factors affect the outcome. You know, if you get people who are dis dishonest of a substandard moral compass, who have an agenda, who want to fulfill some kind of ideology that they may think a defendant is guilty of some crime, even though they don't have the facts on the current charges and they just want to target them and, and put them in jail... They're going to do it by all means necessary. You know, um, in, their, in their mind, they think the means justify the end, and I touched on that. But that's not how the law works. And anybody who thinks that way shouldn't be, shouldn't be in the courtroom. Because regardless of your personal feelings, you're not supposed to bring that into a courtroom. 
You're supposed to go by the law, use the tools that the law provides, not bend them, not break them, not use underhanded methods. Don't introduce things in a manipulative way. Don't force witnesses. They're actually extorting a witness. I don't know what else you could call it, but they're they're blackmailing that witness. They're telling them they're extorting them. They're telling them if you don't do this, we're going to do that. We're going to we're going to put you away forever if you don't do what we want you to do. Now, what's crazy about that is exactly what played out in this documentary and which plays out all over the place. Even if the witness has no idea what they're talking about, they're going to say it because they don't want to go to jail. And it's not as if the prosecutor's telling them, well, do you have information on this? If you don't, okay, we'll move on. They're not saying it like that. They're saying, give us information on this, on this topic, on this person. And if you don't, you're going to jail. So they're really not even giving them an ultimatum. They're basically saying, if you don't give us what we want, you're going to jail. And... These informants obviously don't have a strong character. They're not somebody with a, with a thick internal constitution. They're, they're going to say whatever they want to save their own hide. They don't have integrity. You know, when they operate on that level, when they're making up lies to get somebody in trouble. There's no integrity there. There's no scale that they use to judge how they conduct themselves in life. Their only scale is save your skin by all means necessary. Put away innocent people, lie, cheat, steal. That's their scale. So now when you present an offer to somebody who lives their life by zero code and you tell them, all right, either tell us what we want or you're going to jail for the rest of their life, what do you think they're going to do? It's a very simple equation. It's really not that complicated. Anybody could create a case when you think about all these different pieces of that puzzle. You go out there. You get liars, you get informants who are just going to lie to save their skin. You get somebody, let's say you go, you get somebody who knows a, a known drug addict. And they happen to be friends, let's just say, with somebody you want to target or a friend of somebody you want to target. Now, you know this person has terrible habits, they're big, you could, you could hold something over their head is my point. Um, I'm just using drugs because it popped in my head and it's just, you could use that against them. So now you get, you get this person, you tell them, we're going to lock you up for the rest of your life for using those drugs unless you tell us what we want to know about this person. What is somebody with that type of moral character going to do? They're going to do everything they can to get that person. Whether that person's guilty or not is irrelevant. It's basically a frame job. And that's how they start it. They get these individuals who have no moral compass, who, who have zero integrity, and they use them, they manipulate them. They use them to their advantage. They sign them up, they give them a, uh, an agreement. They tell them, okay, you know, we're going to take it easy on you. We won't put you away for life, but you have to get us this individual. Now, common sense tells you they're going to do whatever they can to get that person, whether it's true or not, is irrelevant. The facts are irrelevant when that is the cards that are on the table. They completely threw the facts away when they made that deal because... Uh, in a lot of the cases, especially in this last case um, that I was on, that, that I spoke about, these informants admitted they didn't even know the defendant. They didn't even know uh, the, one of the main defendants on the case, my father. They didn't even know him. They admitted that. But yet, they were presented with this type of offer where they're told, this is the person we want to get. This is the person we want to put away. Either you get him for us 
or we're going to put you away for life. What are they going to do? Somebody with zero ethical beliefs, zero morals, no integrity, substandard a way of thinking and operating, no conscious. What, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to make up whatever they can to satisfy that agreement. They have an agreement in front of them by the government and they're going to do whatever they can to satisfy it. And what do they have to do? They have to entrap somebody. They have to set somebody up and make up lies about them. They have to say things that never happened, happened. And all of this plays out in the background. And then when they parade these uh, people into the uh, courtroom and they want to act as if they have all of this credibility when they have zero credibility. And it goes back to what I spoke about, how you know the defense a lot of the time isn't allowed to bring up their history, the informant's history, uh, what they've done in the past. You're not allowed to bring that up. You're allowed to bring up all the uh, alleged past actions of the defendants. That's allowed to be brought up. But you're not allowed to bring up anything about the informants that could hurt their credibility. And why is that? Uh, the court, a lot of the times, will say, well, that has nothing to do with the ability to tell the truth. That alone is insanity. Of course it has to do with the ability to tell the truth. If you're promising somebody that all the crimes that they have committed are going to be absolved, and they're not going to have to do any jail, and if they do do any jail, it's going to be minimal and protective custody. If they tell you what you want to hear, you're telling me that doesn't influence their ability to tell the truth? That is pure insanity. There's no logic to that. And anyone who buys into that should be in a straitjacket in Bellevue because it doesn't make any sense. And it's extremely frustrating that they say these things in a, in a courtroom and they believe it. And I don't even think they believe it. I think they just go through the motions and say it just to uh, get it out there. Even though it's 100% inaccurate, goes against common sense, goes against human nature. You're promising somebody freedom. You're relieving them of any wrongdoing they did as long as they abide by this agreement you gave them where you want them to lie about somebody or as they would say, we only want you to tell the truth and I'm going to put quotes around that because they know it's not the truth. But of course, they're going to say, no, we just want you to tell the truth and be honest. Of course, they're going to say that. They're not going to say, no, we're going to tell you if you don't give us what we want to hear. And that's what it's about. It's about playing with words. See, they're telling the person, we only want you to tell the truth. And then they'll follow that up with, if you don't tell us what we want to hear, we're going to basically put you away for life. And they won't word it in that way either. I'm being a little more direct with it, just to get my point across. And obviously, those in opposition listening would say, oh, we don't say it that way, it's not said that way. Of course it's not said that way. We're not morons, obviously it's not said that way. I'm just being direct about it because that's what it is. They're going to word it in such a way where it's, we only want you to tell the truth, wink, wink, but this is what we need. Do you know anything about this person? Because if you do, it's going to work tremendously to your benefit. It's going to help your sentencing. But that's only if you know something about them and you're going to tell the truth about it. If you don't, then we can't help you. So that's what they're saying. I mean, come on. We're not morons. That's what they're saying without saying it. And they're intelligent because they don't say it that way. They word it a specific way. So when they're in the courtroom and they bring up the uh, agreements and they bring up uh, the um, cooperating agreement, they could cite where it says, 
we only want you to tell the truth. And they're not lying, because that's what they said. But there's the old saying, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And you could say something with innuendo, and you could say something which leads somebody to the conclusion without giving them the conclusion. You could tell them, well, you would really have a great deal if you, we could get the facts. If you know anything about this person, we could definitely help you with your sentencing. But that's only if you know something truthful about this person. Now flash to what I was saying before. You're dealing with somebody with no conscience, no moral compass. They have that statement right off in front of them. What do you think they're going to do? You don't think they're going to rack their brain to invent something? You don't think they're going to search whatever they could, po- whatever possible link, no matter how far removed it is, to try to start building credibility and act as if they're in the know when they're totally not in the know? You know, they'll look for any stretch to make that connection. They could be the targets. Uh, they may have you know, sat down and played cards with the target one time. And that'll be their in. That'll be their way of trying to paint a picture that they could, um, that what they're t- saying is legitimate. Because they'll give, they'll give half-truths. Oh, I played cards with them, we talked. So that would lead then prosecutors and law enforcement to think, that what they're saying is legitimate because, oh, they, he plays cards with this individual. You know, they'll leave out that they have zero dialogue. And that's not a, 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 um, a legitimate reference. I'm just, I'm just using that. Whereas if you have somebody who happened to play cards, it could be anything. You could walk into, you know, you could uh, occupy the same space as the person. And that's your excuse to try and lie and say that you could get close and you could get information. When in reality, you can't. But when you have that offer put in front of you and you, you don't want to do any time and you want to save yourself and you don't care who you lie about, those are the things you're going to do. And those are, a lot of the times, those are the caliber of the informants that they parade in to testify against people. And nobody sees anything wrong with that. These jurors just sit there and they eat it up and they believe it. And it's all because they're uneducated and they buy into the whole philosophy of innocent to proven guilty and reasonable doubt, they buy into all of that, yet they don't practice it. And as I always say, these shows are, are going to change. And as things strike me, I'm going to want to talk about them. And I, I like that concept where if I see something or I see a show that kind of relates to my professional life, my personal life, I want to jump on it. I want to, I want to um, talk about it and dissect it because... It parlays, you know, it builds into other things and it could snowball into ideas. And maybe something I say could spark and help an individual or lead them to go. One thing you should do, go watch that documentary. Um, it's on Netflix. It's called Dream Killer. And it's, uh, it's a really good documentary. And again, it just gives you a little insight of what takes place and what goes on that the general public is normally not aware of. And as things like that, you know, come out, you know, I'll do a podcast on it. I'll do an episode on it. I think it's interesting. I'm hoping the um, audience finds it interesting. And I hope it's a little bit enlightening. And it exposes those who are unaware that these things take place of what really could happen if you are on the other side of the law. And that's what you should all take from this. What happens when you're on the other side of those things? You would want a jury 
who is going to think the way that, or, or I should say not even think, just be exposed to the various things that I'm talking about. Just have that in their knowledge base. So at least they're an open-minded. And at least they're going in there and, and you have a shot at getting a fair trial. And they're aware of all these things that could take place to affect that fair trial. You know, because uh, fortunately, the power's still with the people when you're on that jury. But if you have a jury with blindfolds on and earplugs in their ears and tape over their mouth, then you got a big problem. So the purpose of this podcast is to rip the blindfold off, unplug those ears, and peel off that tape over the mouth. You really want to educate everybody and you want everybody being a free thinker. And just looking at, and I'm not saying they have to look at things my way. That's not the point at all. I just explain everything and I hope it enlightens and I hope they take a little bit from it and it just opens their mind and how things really happen. This isn't, this isn't a one way podcast. I'm just explaining how things really happen. This is real life and people's lives are affected by it. And unless a change is made, it's going to keep happening. And all I'm trying to do is go by what is written in the books and what is our constitutional rights. And what we, we have in front of us that we're supposed to get a fair trial. That's all I'm trying to accomplish. And with that, I'll see you next time.